And let's take a look at God's Word, and we're going to reread the verse that is of paramount interest to me in this particular text before we move on to some other verses we're going to be looking at this morning. That's verse 15. So just look down in your Bible at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 15. And Paul is telling Timothy something that undoubtedly Timothy is very familiar with about his own life, but he's reminding him of it. And he says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege of right here, the first Sunday of 2020, having a Bible and having church to be at and uh, comforts to make us where we can pay attention and not be distracted by problems around. And uh, Father, for the freedom of assembly that we have in America and for the Word of God that is so freely and readily available to us, these are all things we know that we are prone to take, uh, to take for granted. And I pray that we would not do that. And especially, Lord, as we emphasize the Bible today, I pray that it'll be a tone setter from the very beginning of the year that we will uh, once again realize the importance that your word plays in our life and how uh, vital it is that it have uh, a prominent place in our hearts and lives in this new year. And thank you for your blessings. And just bless us together as we contemplate uh, in the message this morning, for I pray these things now. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Well, for years and years, I've always felt it important, whether it's Thanksgiving or whether it's Christmas or whether it's the New Year or some of the other occasions in the year to divert from the series that I'm on and talk about what should be kind of in our minds on that particular time. Of course, this is the first Sunday of 2020. We've certainly called attention to that enough times. And so what's appropriate to something like that? And more often than not, I come back to the Bible and I come back to the importance that the Bible needs to have in our lives. Folks, I've made this statement before many times, and I'm sure I've made it here. So I'll make the statement again. Really, you know, it is absolutely impossible. I want you to think about this. It's impossible really to have a vital and successful, if I can use that term, Christian life without the Bible playing an important role, having a definite place in your life. And by definite, I don't just mean on Sunday, I mean every day. Now, you don't give much thought to it, but if you were to think about this for a moment, I mean, you don't necessarily now have a list of all the menus that you're going to prepare meals for for 2020. But if you skip a day without a meal and have no meals during that particular day, uh, you notice that. And I found that as you get older, you notice it more. It seems like when you're younger, you can kind of do that stuff. I remember every time I would think to myself, well, you know, I need to shed a few pounds. And uh, usually the way I would do that is I would just go for three days and wouldn't have anything except liquids. And uh, then I kind of modified that and uh, decided, I, well, I'll, I better have supper. And now I can't really even do that very well. I mean, it just gets to me. And I, I'm sure many of you have experienced that as well. Can you plug in the spiritual counterpart to that? You think what it really means to your relationship with God. After all, a relationship exists between people, right? And so none of us is an island unto himself. If we know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, we have a relationship with God. And what are we doing with that relationship? Are we cultivating it? And I always remember the story about the farmer who's going down the road in the pickup truck with his wife one day, and uh, the farmer's wife was sitting next to him, and she said, Honey, we don't sit as close together as we used to. And the farmer looked over at his wife and he said, that's true, but I haven't moved. 
And if you think about that for a few moments, God hasn't moved, and we're the ones who tend to drift away from God. And if we really want to have a growing, vital, meaningful relationship with God in 2020, there's no way to do that apart from fellowshipping with God. And of course, we fellowship with God through his word, and we fellowship with God as we pray. And when we put those two things together, we so often refer to those as devotions. So I I want to uh, talk to you a little bit about that today. The title of my message is Seven Reasons to Read the Bible in 2020. So we'll have to move with this. Don't get too discouraged if it sounds like I spend a little more time with the first point. I'll move a little more quickly with the other points, and I might even speed this up. It just depends. But first of all, I want you to notice the idea of salvation. Seven reasons to read the Bible in 2020. I don't see how you can really start the list without starting there. For the simple reason that we really have no way to know the way to heaven apart from the Bible, or people who know the Bible who might impart the way to heaven to us. That's uh, quite a statement. If you think about it, it's supported by the verse that we have here in verse number 15. When Paul reminds Timothy, he says, you know something, you've had a tremendous privilege. That's kind of between the lines, because from the time you were a child, he said, you've known the Holy Scriptures. If you go back to chapter 1, he talks about his grandmother Lois, his mother Eunice, and those people were people of faith. Can you imagine what, an, what a heritage it is, what a blessing it is, what a head start it is to have a home or grandparents in the home where these are people of faith. You don't have to go out into life and be scarred and, and have all kinds of sin and problem and all that. You don't have to. Some people do anyway. But from a child, he says, you've known the Holy Scriptures. And then he makes a statement about the value of that. He says, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith that is in Jesus Christ. Interesting that he says able, because this word able comes from the same root that means power, which we have in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, where it says, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the what of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Power. So how is it that we learn how to be saved? Well, it's not written in the stars, not in the sense that we think of Bible verses. Many things are written in the stars. In fact, this is the whole idea that theologians distinguish between what's called general revelation and special revelation. So all of us can walk outside at night, whether we're Christians, and if the sky is clear, David, for example, we read a devotion on this just last night. David, for example, wrote in Psalm 19.1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. So every one of us has the opportunity to go out and to do exactly what Paul says when he says, For the invisible things of him from the creation are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even the eternal power and Godheads. We can all go out at night and say, you know, that expanse that's up there and those stars and those things, they tell me a lot about God. And one of the first things they tell me is he is God because no one can accomplish that. There is no power on earth that can accomplish. Think about that for a moment. You can light off every nuclear bomb and every arsenal on the face of the earth and all it does is destroy. God creates. And there's no way that you can put together a world and a universe, and especially as David or Daniel tells us that knowledge increases as we our knowledge increases in the latter days, and, and we, we know all these things about the universe, and it, it really ought to make men more believers than less believers. 
Everyone can know that, though, if they want to know that, if they're open to knowing that. But you can't go out tonight, look at the, star, look at the stars, and find John 3.16. Find John 3.16 there. To know the gospel, to know how to be saved, you need the Bible. That's what theologians call specific or special revelation. And that's what the Bible is, beloved. The Bible contains special revelation. This is God's special revelation to you and to me. And its most elementary message is the gospel message, which tells us how we can be rightly related to God, how we can have a home in heaven, how we can have our sins forgiven, and then goes on to do a multitude of other things that we'll talk about in just a few moments. Secondly, did you ever stop to think about the fact that we live in a world which is a sea of error? If you bring up, or if you were just to walk down the street and, and had a climate in which people would stop and talk to you, and you ask them, sir, could you, could you stop for a moment and take just a minute of your time? I'm doing a survey. And I'm wondering, uh, what is your concept? What is your thought? How, is it, how, how does a person go to heaven? If you can get people to talk to you, you'll hear all sorts of different things. You'll hear all sorts of different renditions. But I can tell you that no matter how many people you talk to, even though each one may have a slightly different spin on it, you will only hear either one or two different stories. You'll hear one if you meet somebody who knows Christ as Savior because they'll tell you that the way of the cross leads home. Another foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That'll be one rendition you hear. The other, you might hear wrapped six different ways with all sorts of different wrinkles to it. It'll all be the same thing. It'll be something you have to do. Sounds like an oversimplification, but it's really not. I challenge you to disprove that. Every other rendition you get is always about something you need to do. And so out there in the sea of error, so since there are so many, the devil is a, is a mastermind of confusion. And even people I think you know, you've talked to people, will use that as an excuse. They'll say, well, how could you ever know? I mean, there, people have so many different ideas about this which is one reason why I like to kind of simplify it, because they do have a lot of ideas, but they all boil down to one simple thing. It's something you're going to do to earn your way to heaven. But in this sea of error where people have all sorts of different ideas, opinions, and renditions, how would you ever know the truth? How would you ever have something that you can really depend on? How would you ever have any confidence? And, of course, the Bible alone can give us that, and thirdly, when I think about salvation and the importance of the Bible in line with that, I think about the fact that you have to be born again, which is why we have to start here to really understand the Bible. Because as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, lest they are spiritually discerned. Lee was talking in the Sunday school about the song of redemption. Well, anybody who cares to can sing just as I am. But not everybody understands what it means. And people who understand what it means really know how to sing just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Boy, that's just sweet music, isn't it? That's a sweet message if you know Christ as Savior. If you don't know Christ as Savior... Oh, it's something that evangelists used to use all the time. It's about as far as you get. So we have to start with salvation. 
But then we move to something else because once we're born again and once we do know the Lord as our personal Savior, one of the things that we find out very quickly is the Bible talks about being saved and one illustration or uh, figure that it gives for that is being born again. And a little baby comes into the world and, and a little baby is exactly that. In some ways, almost helpless. It needs parents and needs those around for support. The baby, when the baby is born, will never be any more human than it is right then, in the sense that if it's a whole healthy baby, going to have five fingers on each hand, going to have five toes on each foot, going to have two eyes. You get what I'm trying to say? Never be any more human, but will definitely grow. In fact, if it doesn't grow, so this is our second thought, growth, you need the Bible to grow. And 2 Timothy 3.17 tells us this, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Don't think about perfect as the sense of sinless. That's not the idea here. The idea is mature. That's what you want for that baby, right? When that baby comes into your home, you want that baby to grow up and to mature. And, of course, there's different aspects in which people mature. We mature physically, get to a certain place where you don't grow anymore get to another place where you start growing the other way. You grow out, and you grow down. You ever think about that? And it's like getting the resolution wrong on your computer screen. It's like the people are squatty. And you, you kind of think to yourself, it's not very pleasant to look at. We got home the other day and turned the computer on in the kitchen. Yes, I ha we have one in the ki kitchen, too. We have one in the living room. We have one everywhere. Anyway, I turned the computer on in the kitchen. I said, something happened to this thing while we were gone. Some kind of an update or something. I said, the resolution's gone bonkers on this thing. Look at those symbols. They're all kind of squatty looking. I'm thinking to myself, in the back of my mind, I didn't tell my wife. But, you know, I don't want to look like that. But we mature, and this is true spiritually as well. So people mature emotionally, they mature physically, they mature in a job where they come to know the job well, so you don't have to tell them as much, and they don't need as much support. Uh, all of these are, are ideas here, but spiritual growth, this is what Paul is talking about. And he says, you know, the way to be mature really depends upon the Bible because he says it's given to us, it's profitable for doctrine, so it'll tell us what we need to teach and believe. It, for reproof, it'll help us with that when we need it. For instruction, it says, in righteousness, so when we need counsel or guidance, or when we need correction, the Bible will furnish us with all those things. And it can furnish it to us when we're in church. It can furnish us to us when we read it. It can furnish it to us when we hear sermons, when we're going down the road, whatever the case might be. And many, many places the Bible talks about this. For example, 1 Timothy, or Peter 2.2 2 says it's newborn babes. So to pick up on that illustration again of being born again. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And over in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 to 14, we won't turn in the interest of time, but it talks about strong meat. So the Bible has whatever it is you need. So whether you need the meat or whether you need something in between or whether you, you, you've sort of gotten beyond the milk and are ready for solid food, uh, the Bible has those things. But this is why, folks, I'm taking you back to that statement again. It's impossible to be a vibrant, thriving Christian without 
the Bible having a vital place in your life any more than it is to really prosper physically without nourishment because that's what the Bible is, spiritual nourishment. Thirdly, I want to talk for a moment about something else we discover very quickly once we're saved, and that is the word I want to use is victory. And the verse that I would like you to turn to with me is the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Would you turn to Ephesians chapter 6 for a moment? So victory, what's the thought here? Well, something else you discover shortly after you're saved is, is that temptation doesn't go away. Did you figure that out yet? Still have temptation. Boy, you do grow in grace, and so in the sense that you reap what you sow, if what you've sown is good, you become stronger spiritually, and the more you're away from things that are evil, the less hold they seem to have on you, and yet it's sort of like a man who's been an alcoholic. His wisest precaution in life is to stay clear of the bar. I remember my grandfather on my mother's side. I never knew my grandfather on my father's side, but I I remember when we would take trips to Florida when they were living and there, and uh, he smoked pell-mells, no filter. He'd smoke those things down to where, I don't know how he held on to them, but to me, they would burn you. And I remember as a boy, we'd go down there and, in the morning, what you'd hear. And he eventually succumbed with emphysema and that type of thing. So I kind of got the idea real early that cigarettes weren't a good idea. I still don't think they're a good idea. But I do understand how they tempt people. But I just remember when he was told in his latter years that he had prostate cancer, so the big C word came in there, and he just quit. I mean, after smoking all those years like he did, I mean, he just quit. The man had an iron will. There was no question about that, and he just quit. And he'd carry him around his top pocket and just ignore him just to show himself that he quit. Then one day he took, went to the doctor for a checkup and I'd like to wring that guy's neck. The doctor said, well, you know, you're doing real well. He said, I don't suppose it'd be a problem. He volunteered this. He said, I don't suppose it'd be a problem if you had one or two a day. Can't do that. Can't do that. One or two a day, you might as well just start up with a pack a day again. It's just not going to work. And you get right back into it, see? So we, we understand temptation, don't we? We understand that although we can grow in grace, it's never wise to ignore the fact that we have, what, a fallen nature, and that fallen nature never improves. That's the thing you have to remember. You may grow in grace. The new man increases in strength and, in, and the godliness that that produces in our life. But you know what? The old man is never any different, never any better. Just think about that. Never any better. And so temptation can be a problem. So I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17 because what are we going to do about temptation? How will we have the victory? It has to be by a spiritual means, right? Because it's a spiritual battle, which is what Paul is talking about. And he gives this list beginning in verse 10 of the Christian soldier and his armor. And in verse 17, he says, take the helmet 
of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. So let me ask you a question. Is a sword offensive or defensive? And the answer is yes. I thought you'd figure that out. It's, it's either. Just like if someone asks you if a... If someone asks you about a handgun, is it offensive or defensive, then the primary, the primary answer there is it's defensive. But if you have a rifle and someone asks you, is it offensive or defensive, the answer is yes. Right? The design is such with the handgun that it's really not designed to be an offensive weapon, although there are times when you have to press it into measure as such. Well, the sword of the spirit can... Arm us for the defense and arm us for the offense. And in, you've heard the saying before, sometimes the best defense is a good offense. And so how are you going to be victorious in the Christian life if you don't understand something about the Bible? And so many other places in the Bible um, tell us of this. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. I bet you know those verses. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Verse 10, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You say, well, I, I, don't, I have trouble memorizing. I never thought I'd have to say this, but I have more trouble memorizing now than I used to. I didn't know that I'd ever see that day. I never had any trouble with it. But, you know, you get older. And it doesn't come quite as readily. But you can still hide God's word in your heart. And you can still learn God's word. And it's so important to do this because I think a lot of people's approach to this is they just think, well, you know, I, I, you know I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go at my spiritual um, temptations and troubles like with a scatter gun. And it's not very effective beyond 50 yards or so. Right? How many people here turkey hunt? A couple people admitted. Just, you don't have anything to be ashamed of except all those times you've missed or haven't gotten one. If you're having problems with pride, I recommend turkey hunting. You will be humbled very quickly. But, you know, you go out there and it just amazes me all this stuff they come up with now and, and they tell you now this, this shell is effective to 50 yards and maybe 60. And I think to myself, I can't see far enough to do that. Not well. I mean, I would never take a shot at that kind of yardage. About 30, maybe 40 would be as far as I would attempt to do that. But even at that, I've got a scope on my shotgun. And you're aiming for the head, right? So... How effective is that if I have something out there? At... My point is, when you think about Jesus in the wilderness, do you remember that story? And the devil came along with his various temptations. Jesus didn't use a scatter gun. Every one of those temptations, Jesus answered with a verse from Deuteronomy. That's really amazing. Some people think that on the strength of that, Jesus had been meditating especially on Deuteronomy during that time in the wilderness. The devil comes along and says, 
Turn these stones to bread. Man shall not live by bread alone. All those verses are not only from Deuteronomy, they are all right to the point of the temptation. That's the point I'm making now. So if you're going to use the sword of the Spirit effectively, what you need to do is figure out where do I struggle, where do I have problems, and where's a verse that will help me with that. When I first started reading the Bible, which was my senior year in high school, a little before that, summer before, but not much, I started reading the Bible, and I, I don't know, I might still even have it. I have one of those old-style three-ring notebooks. I don't think anybody much uses them anymore like that, that had kind of the blue hard fabric cover. And I had pages in there, and when I would read the Bible and found a verse that helped with something, I'd write at the top of the page what it helped with, and I'd write the verse. And I'd accumulate them till I got several of those, and if it was a a point that I really felt that I was struggling with, I'd try to learn those verses. That's the way you have to do with it. Fourthly, guidance. Psalm 119, verse 105. Let's turn over there for a moment. Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Guidance. I have a separate message on this that I developed last year for a graduation that I was asked to speak at. I titled the message, Everybody Needs a Flashlight. Think about that. Everybody needs a flashlight. Let me ask you a question you don't have to answer. How many flashlights do you have? I have more flashlights than I have chapstick. <laughs> and that's going some because I, I staged those chapsticks. You know, so they're close at hand. I don't ever want to be too far away from chapstick this time of the year. And I have more flashlights. And it, flashlights, to me, are fascinating because... People think you only need one, but flashlights are so um, versatile and task-specific many times. I've got the, the little wee one for at night when I get up because I don't want to turn on a light. It wakes me up too much. So I go around with that. And I've got the ones I take deer hunting. Brother, I'll tell you, I remember when SureFlight... Sure, surefire flashlights first came out. That was hot stuff. Now everybody's got some rendition of it, it seems like. I bought one of those in the early stages, and I thought, man, this is really cool. I've got a surefire flashlight that's about that long that fits in my pocket with no trouble, and, man, all I have to do is hit that button at the end and 60 lumens. That was hot stuff in those days. 60 lumens is nothing now. It's amazing how far the technology has come, but everybody needs a flashlight. I see Connie sometimes with a flashlight. When she comes into church and it's the evening service, I see her. Going to get out of the car safely. If you need one, use it. It's a smart thing. But in the Christian life, everybody needs a flashlight too, you know, because there are, you're walking along and you don't know the path. There might be something there. Even if you do know the path, there might be something there. How many people have been out deer hunting and you know exactly where you're going and you're walking down whatever path that will get you to that place 
And you know it intimately, like the back of your hand. So you don't, if you're like me, I'm not turning a light on if I know where I'm going. If I do, I've got that, that same sure flyer, yeah, fire flashlight with a red filter on the end so that I'm not lighting up the woods and having every deer that's around know where I am and who I am. So I, I've, I've had many times I've gone down these things just like that with no light whatever and tripped. Why? Because some branch took a notion and fell in the thing that wasn't there the last time I walked down it. There's a whole lot of reasons you need flashlights, folks. And in the same way is true with our Christian walk. Many times we need flashlights. We need to understand the dangers that are there so that we don't get tripped up by them. We need to know, understand we come to a fork in the road. Which way is the right way to go? Did you do that too? You go out and put some of that stuff up before season. So if you're not quite sure, when I get to this way, I'm going straight now, not that way, or I'll end up not where I want to be. So I got one of those little luminous tacks or whatever there. You, you, all these things we do to kind of give ourselves a, an edge up. But that's exactly what the Bible does for us. It gives us that guidance that we need so that we don't mess up. I like the story I've told this many, many times of an occasion when F.B. Meyer, of course, F.B. Meyer was a, a Baptist preacher. Uh, he was English. He was uh, sort of a, a contemporary, really, of, of uh, Moody and Spurgeon and, and in that rough time frame. And he was going to preach across the Irish Channel one night. He came up on deck. The captain was there. And it was one of those starless nights. I mean, just cloud cover, whatever. Couldn't see anything. And so he drew up beside the captain and he said, Sir, he said, how, pray tell, how do you, how do you discern the entrance to Holyhead Harbor? In the dark, with no stars. Captain said, you, you see those three lights? He looked, said, yeah. He said, well, when those three lights precisely align, that's the bearing. That's how we know how to enter Holyhead Harbor. Hmm. How's that play out with what we're talking about now? Well, the scripture is one of those three lights. Think about a three-legged stool. Doesn't stand up too well if you don't have all three legs working. So the other two are, we have God's word. And then, of course, we have the leadership of God's spirit in our hearts. And then, of course, we have circumstances, which think about the perils that are involved in just going by circumstances. Wow, can we ever get messed up in a hurry just by going by circumstances? But they do have value, especially when they line up with the impressions the Spirit of God is giving us in our heart and when they confirm we're not doing something contrary to God's Word. Now, I always think of Paul's verse. When I think about circumstances, there's a better word to use. There's open doors and closed doors, Right? And I always like what Paul said when he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, but there are many adversaries. God opened a door. So when you find all of those things aligning, then you can proceed safely knowing that you've discerned the word of God. But boy, oh boy, do we really, the will of God, but boy, oh boy, do we need the Bible to keep the other two from becoming spooky and... So people tell you, why'd you that? Well, I just feel that way. Well, man, why? Your feelings are all over the place sometimes, right? So we need that guidance. Third, or fifthly, we need or we want blessing. 
And that's closely aligned with this. Let's go back to an earlier place in the psalm, Psalm 1. Funny, the psalms start with this. The very first word. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I don't feel that there's anything wrong with saying I'd like to prosper in life. It all depends how you define prosperity. I don't have to have a million dollars. If you want to give it to me, I'll take it. And I'm not trying to be funny. I, I, I'm really trying to make a point. I don't have to have it. I don't think God wants me to have it. But if he does, I'm not so hyper-spiritual that I wouldn't take it because I think I know something to do with it. And I'd like to believe that after all these years, I could be trusted with it. But God knows what he's doing. He knows what we need and what we don't need. I had a friend contact me the other day and uh, one of the things that we almost had six months worth of catching up to do in the email, and one of the things I remarked was that, you know, sometimes it never ceases to amaze me how God provides and how God meets our needs. And I think when we have that going on in our lives, that's blessing, right? When we have that going on in our lives, that's almost more precious than a big bank account that you didn't have to worry about that. And I just, I just am amazed sometimes. I really am. Um, I can say this. Be, I already sent you a note, told you, but we had all this travel planned, and so we knew that there wasn't going to be work to cover those times and all that kind of thing, but we prayed about it, and we knew that it was the right thing to do. And one of the things you folks gave us a Christmas gift. And I, I looked at that, and I just, there he goes again. It's just amazing, really. That's the way I think you want to live your life. And how do we do that? How do we be in a place where God can bless us? Well, like I say, the Bible has to have a vital key place in our lives if that's going to be the case because he talks about having a delight in the law of the Lord. He talks about spending time meditating in the law of the Lord. Just as earlier he talked about hiding God's word in our hearts. And Joshua also spoke about this. He said, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that I have commanded you. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Sixthly, joy. Let's turn to the book of Jeremiah. We're almost done. Let's turn to the book of Jeremiah. I, I want to pick up on a verse that was in the message last time we were looking at Jeremiah, which was kind of a double header last Sunday. But in verse 16 of chapter 15, we read this verse. Jeremiah says, Thy words were found, Jeremiah 15, 16, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by thy name. O Lord God of hosts, joy and rejoicing. But yet Jeremiah was a weeping prophet. 
Yet Jeremiah had such a difficult experience. And folks, we do too. I mean, we may not be the weeping prophet, but not every day is just one of those days where you're happy. And I say that advisedly because there really is a difference between happiness and joy. It's not wrong to be happy. It's wonderful to be happy. And if you can be happy, wonderful. But when you really draw out the distinction between those words, happiness depends on happenings. That's the very root of the word. It's circumstantially based. Joy isn't circumstantially based. Joy is something that's the fruit of the Spirit. Joy is something you can have deep down in your heart, even on bad days. Just peace is the same thing. Things can be going totally wrong and you can have peace. We got on an airplane and we're going down there and the uh, captain came on and said, uh, I like it when they talk to you. I don't like the ones that never talk to you. But he came on and he said, we're going to be beginning our descent now. And he said, uh, we're going to have, and it's going to be a little bumpy on the way down. I said, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Too much to expect a completely smooth ride. Boy, he wasn't kidding. I mean, you got down there and hit that first layer, of which there were about three, because there were clouds all over the place. And clouds usually mean some degree of turbulence. But anyway, you get down there, hit that first layer, and man, did it jolt that airplane. I mean, really. And this wasn't any Piper Cub. I mean, there are bigger airplanes, but it was an A320. It was a decent jet. The A320 is essentially the counterpart of the Boeing 737, so it's made by Airbus. And a decent-sized airplane. And uh, they finally got to the place where this uh, captain asked the stewardesses to sit down, the steward, stewards and S's, to sit down, and uh, because he said, we, we, we need you to sit down. And... The lady comes on and she says, folks, we're just going to be on the honor system. Look around, be sure the guy next to you put his tray up. And if he's got headphones in and he's still going strong with whatever, ask him if he'd put that away or whatever. Was, you know, they had to be seated. I just try to, at first it makes me jittery. Then I kind of think to myself, it is what it is. Now, I don't mean to be flip. I don't want to go down in any air disaster. I've got better ways to go. I'm looking to go up, not down anyway. <laughs> but I just kind of told myself and thought to myself, I'm the same as safe here, maybe safer than I am in my car. Calm down a little bit. How is it that we can have joy? Well, we've been given a source to go to. You're going to need to renew this all the time, see? It's like having a flashlight and you need those batteries to be recharged. We have a couple of those things around our house, not flashlights, but little candle lights to run on. I use rechargeable batteries in them. You know, without fail, about a week I have to recharge those things. And you need to come to this often because you're going to find that peace. You're going to find that joy. Lastly, you don't like to talk about this too much, but admonition. In Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, this will be our last scripture. If you'll just turn there, I'd like you at least to have the verses that you can go back to. Something else you find out is that sometimes, in spite of our best efforts, we hit dry patches and we stray sometimes. And sometimes we really do need admonition. Sometimes we don't take it so well when someone admonishes us. 
Sometimes I guess we don't even take it very well when God admonishes us, but I'd rather have God admonish me than some people because I trust God. Some people, they don't have a clue. They get a two-by-four out to do what a toothpick is needed for. But this verse tells us something very interesting about the Bible. For the word of God, verse 12, is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I'm interested in the word discerner. Do you know what that word is in the original? Criticos. We have our English word critic from it. Critic. I trust my wife as to be a good critic. I don't necessarily trust a lot of others. I, I'm, unfortunately, I found that even in Christian circles, a lot of times people are mean. Lots of times people are thoughtless. But I do trust my wife. And I do listen, even if she doesn't think I do. So I trust God to be a good critic. So if the Bible tells me I'm on the wrong course and says, Coleman, you better wise up here. And the Bible does that for us. And there are plenty of times, folks, when we really need this kind of thing and we can trust God for it. So read the Bible. If you don't respond to other people admonishing you real well, then read the Bible and let God do it because he will. So I'd like to encourage you this in closing. We have to stop now, but I'd like to encourage you to do exactly what you heard when Brother Lee was giving the announcements a while ago. If you say, well, yeah, I'll do that this year. As a result of hearing that message, I'll do that this year. And you don't have a plan, you won't do it. I promise. If you don't have some kind of a plan and make a commitment to it, you won't do it. Even if you do, you'll miss a day here or there. And I'll tell you what to do when that happens. Don't let the devil come tell you, see, I told you you wouldn't be able to keep up with that. Just forget it. Don't do that. That's one of his tricks. Just turn right around the next day and get right back on target. So you have those tracks in the track rack. I didn't get a chance to see those, but Brother Dean's back there. He might get somebody to help. I have a Bible reading calendar for you for this year. And uh, I have one here I can show you real quick how this one works. There are tons of these. You can get them online. The important thing is, I, I, sometimes I like a piece of paper that I can put in my Bible so that I'm not worried about, I've got to take another step to get on the computer or whatever else. So this particular one, it's front and back, and uh, it'll give you two readings each day. So you could decide that I'll read the New Testament this year and I'll read the Old Testament next year. But I like the plans that take us through the Old Testament and the New Testament at the same time because I don't want to wait all that time to get to Matthew. So that's, this is kind of the one that I've given to you. Now, this is last year, so on leap year day, you can use that as a makeup. That's a snow day. <laughs> so if you missed one, then you've got a makeup day in this, in this calendar. Take one of those and look at it and see if you like it. But the most important thing is get some system. 
I've done this for enough years now that I don't use it anymore, which is maybe a bad advertisement, but I know it so well and know exactly what I'm going to do so well that it just has become habit for me. I can tell you, if you don't like pieces of paper and you don't like schedules, then three chapters a day in the Old Testament and one in the New will get you through the Bible in a year. It basically takes about four chapters a day to get through the Bible. If you say that's too much, it may be. Figure out what you're going to do. Do something. Do something. Even if you only start with 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day that you do consistently is better than an hour a day that you do once and get discouraged and quit. And as you do this, it'll be like a snowball rolling down a hill. You'll gain strength. You'll prove to yourself the blessing that you're getting from this. God will prove to you the blessing that he wants to bring to your life through your doing this. And you'll stick with it if you have any degree of commitment at all. You'll end up sticking with it. And then it'll become a lifelong habit. Folks, I have done this every year since I was a freshman in college. And some on top. Never regretted it. If I had to go back, if somebody, I'm going to quit with this. If somebody were to ask me, what was one thing you did to which you would attribute the most success, blessing, or whatever it is that you would use to describe what you've had in your Christian life, I would say, I have always read the Bible. Other people would go read some book. Nothing wrong with a book. But there's always some new book. There's always some new preacher with some new idea. And I've known people that would do that. And I made up my mind a long time ago in my ministry, I'll read the books that I think I need to read because there's a lot of good you can get from them. But not at the expense of the Bible. The Bible will be how I figure out whether or not the book's on target or not. So get the Bible, read the Bible, and God will bless. I didn't say that everything's going to be rosy, that there'll be no problems this year, but boy, it'll be a lot easier dealing with them.